0: Welcome to The Emily Osmond Show, your place to learn how to make marketing, money, and mindset your superpowers, because the world needs more women taking up more space. And together, we can do this through growing our businesses, our platforms, and our communities. I'm your host, Emily Osmond, a business coach and speaker based in Melbourne, Australia. Twice a week, you'll hear honest, insightful conversations with my guests, along with a dose of real talk from me. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Emily Osmond. And now let's get into the show. Welcome back to the show and to a really special conversation today. Today's episode is from a live conversation that I held on my Instagram for International Women's Day with Kemi Nekvapil, focusing on her newly published book, Power A Woman's Guide to Living and Leading Without Apology. This International Women's Day is about imagining a gender equal world, a world free of bias, stereotypes, and discrimination, a world that's diverse equitable, and inclusive, and where difference is valued and celebrated. And the key message this International Women's Day is to break the bias. And I really couldn't think of a better guest to come onto the show and share her own experiences, learnings, and so much wisdom with us than Kemi. And you'll also hear us discuss thoughts and stories that the live audience shared too. We cover many topics from taking ownership of our lives to being present, waiting for permission versus giving ourselves permission, money and taking responsibility for educating ourselves about it in our lives. Equality, privilege and so much more. Now, the audio isn't absolutely top notch because it is from the Instagram live stream, but put that aside because the conversation is absolutely worth the listen. So let's welcome Kemi Nekvipil to the show. Kemi, thank you for being here. My pleasure. So before we get started, and we're meeting virtually today, I know we have people from all over the place, so please let me know where you're joining from. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the incredible land that we call home here in Australia, the traditional custodians of country. I'm in New South Wales at the moment, and it's Wurundjeri country. And I'd like to really pay my respects to the elders past, present, and extend that to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. And really welcome everyone as you are with your own culture, customs, identity. It's what makes really the world so much more, so much more rich. And um, we'll also be touching on that today as well as we speak about equality and, um, and diversity. So I thought, Kemi, we could start off with getting the audience a little bit involved here. When I was reading your book, one of the first things that really struck me was when you mentioned around what we think of when we think of the word power and some of the words that you mentioned in there that came up were very relatable to me. And so I wonder for those that are here tuning in, come and take part. And I would love you to share, and I'll ask Kemi you to share, and I'll share some of my own words. But what comes up for you when we think of the word power?
1: I think that's a really good question, I mean, the way that you've just worded it. What were my previous interpretations of yeah is not a word that many of us as women have been invited to explore at all Mm -hmm. and I you know interpretation of power was not for something like someone like me to have that it was Mm -hmm. very much about male power it Mm -hmm. was very much domination it was very much about um a power that is kind of done to you you know which has a lot of people feel powerless and I think if we're honest there's a form of that kind of power playing out in the Mm -hmm. world right now. So, yeah, so for me, power definitely had a negative connotation and something that I didn't want anything to do with and something that I thought was for other people.
0: Absolutely. So I I had thoughts that came to mind. It's like power, I don't think that's relevant to me, which is super interesting. Um, power is greedy and selfish and is disempowers others. It's taking power off others. And the most violent, hideous form of power that we think of is, like you said, what's happening in the world right now with Putin and I think that is the imagery of what we can think of when we think of power so I think really it's such a time to have this conversation and look at the the other ways that we can understand power and also understand that each of us have it and I'm yeah excited to dive in this today and Kemi why did you include so much in your book I've got so much to talk about do you want to just explain how you've broken down the book Kemi and the and really the acronym behind it yeah,
1: 100%. And also what I'm going to do is, because one thing that gave me access into writing this book is when I first heard the word power, like I knew what am I going to call this book? And that was the word that came to me. And as I just said, I didn't relate to power really as I'd known about it. So I was just like, who do you think you are to write a book about? And I always trust what I call divine download. Like I knew that the fact that it kind of scared me to write the book was a reason to write the book. And then I went to the Oxford Dictionary The only dictionary that i used and the definition of power is the ability to do something or act in a particular way and i want to say that again the ability to do something or act in a particular way which means that we all have power but i knew that i had to redefine it because i didn't want it to be about this idea of domination or women thinking Mm -hmm. i don't have it i don't want any so i've broken it down into five power principles acronym of power and that is presence ownership wisdom equality and responsibility and i'm really happy Mm -hmm. to each one of those you know in sequence or if you want to sort of explore them more
0: Brilliant, thank you. And I have broken them down into kind of each and then picked out one particular thing because like I said, there's so much in there and so much to explore, but I thought we can kind of focus on one, one kind of element from each. And I can see we have some comments here. So um, Wanderer writer says, totally relate power was for other people. Yeah, absolutely. And anyone else that wants to share too in terms of what, what, perhaps what what you see power like now. So let's start off with Kemi, the the P in power. And for you, you call this um, your P is presence and presence to understand what is and isn't working in our lives. And I really like this, that being this struck home, oh my goodness, being present to all of your feelings is more powerful than walking around with half of your feelings hidden from yourself. Not only does it mean you don't belong to yourself, but it also means others can't find you. And I might just share a little bit from how this has felt like for me. And I guess how I interpreted this and what resonated was presence is partly feeling the feelings and thinking the thoughts and allowing the thoughts to be thought in our heads and recognizing them. And I know that I've done a lot and I'm sure many others have to escape being present because it can feel very uncomfortable. So I would love you to share what happens to our power when we aren't present in our lives
1: i think most of us experience that sense of powerlessness that life mm-hmm. is to us that mm-hmm. we are not in the seat. we are in the passenger seat we just kind of hope that maybe things are going to turn out okay and the thing is about being present you know we can kind of think of it you know as enlightenment mm-hmm. off the mountain you know because we're being present and yes 100 meditation those practices make a big difference But generally, being present to our lives and what is working and is not working is really confronting. Mm -hmm. Sometimes really because once you've admitted the things that are actually there, the things that you're present to, it does require for us to take action or be courageous or have those difficult conversations. So as I say about presence, presence is the ability to be present to oneself and also to be present to others.
0: And I also loved, Kemi, that you weren't like, this is how to be present. You need to meditate for X amount per day, do um, three hours of sun salutations. And I really love that. It's like, because I think we're, some of us, it's like, okay, tell me exactly how I can be present. Like, how do I do this? How do I do this perfectly?
1: <laughs> when I sort of wrote about the presence practice that I have, which are yoga, meditation, journaling, and gardening, my editor would ask me questions. Well, how much do you journal? Or how much do you do yoga for? And I said, I'm not putting it. I said, I'm not putting it. So much content for women has these kind of ridiculous standards of what each of us is doing without respecting where we are in our life, the season of our life, the responsibility that we have. So we suddenly feel, oh, if I can't do that, then somehow I am broken Mm. or wrong. And I never, ever want to write in a voice that gives women the idea that what they're doing is not okay.
0: So what can change for us when we become present? And what changes for us and our power when we do become more present in our lives perhaps we feel the feelings we're not going around kind of a half version of ourselves and also I guess being very very busy and you speak about how being busy is really it's very challenging to be present while we're very very busy at the same time so what does change when we become present and how does that interact with our power
1: I think one of the most important things that happens when we become present is that we can breathe you know just being able to breathe and in that space of that breath and that quiet we can tap into like you say the feelings you know we've all been in various forms of lockdown around the world over the last two years and i think that for so many of us we realise it was more powerful to say this is a really hard day today or i'm struggling right now or people at the beginning it was interesting actually i would work with clients who i'm gonna do lockdown i'm gonna smash this down this is gonna be like the best lockdown. And those people that went in it like that, that were kind of like busy, busy, I'm gonna do the thing and this and that, within like lockdown, they were burnt out and exhausted. Whereas I found the people that kind of went, this is hard, I don't know how to deal with this, and kind of really slowed down and were present to their situation, were the people that tended to have more of a sustainability through all of the changes and the challenges.
0: And also I think as well, this was for me and perhaps for others is like I've, I've got to be productive so i can't pause and i can't slow down
1: yeah and what i did during lockdown especially the first one is i just went to bed watched friends and ate crumpets like <laughs> because
0: what i was present
1: to was i need comfort i need to be comforted and i knew that i could give that to myself in that way you know something that was safe something that wasn't kind of too intellectually stimulating and i think a lot of us joy and comedy and laughter. And it's being present to, and I think it can be difficult for women, is to be present to what are our needs? What is it that I actually need? We're so trained to be focusing on, to be present to other people's needs. And in that, we're not present to our
0: own. So we've spoken about presence and there's so many other facets that you go into in the book, and I've just picked out one. Um, I'd love to now go to ownership. Um, Wow. So ownership of our personal narratives. This is your um, description especially our power stories. I I thought we could speak about if you're comfortable too um that you really kind of recognized as a speaker that people wanted to put you in boxes. And so it was yeah. okay, well, you're a black woman, you're going to be the rags to riches story or you speak about diversity. You write in your book to have agency, do not let others define you or determine the course of your journey. And I think a lot of people, and, and certainly me, I'm like waiting for someone to give me permission to do something, to start my business, to call myself a certain title, to go for opportunities. So I'd love you to share, what does it look like in our lives when we are not taking ownership of our lives? What can that look like or feel like?
1: I think it's the same, you know, Emily, I think it's that sense of power Again, it feels once again that we're not in charge of our own experience of life and that either we are kind of, you know, either we're at default of other people's stories of who we are. Like it was always, people would just say to me, oh yeah, yeah, so come and speak about diversity and inclusion. I'm like, I'm not trained in that. I have no idea about diversity and inclusion. I may be the diverse person in the room, but people train understand those topics and to talk about those topics. That is not me. Um, or as you said, the rags to riches story. Are oh, therefore, you know, because you're a black woman and you're fostered, we'll talk about that. And and I just realized, no, I share my story when it's relevant to what it is and who it is that I'm speaking to, but I want to be a pawn kind of in other people's stories. So I realized, okay, so I'm the one that's gonna have to take ownership of my narrative. And then I can, you know, move with that in how and where I want to. When we don't do that, once again, I just feel that we are at the mercy of other people's stories.
0: And I wonder if anyone listening can even recognize a time in their lives when they've they've been in that kind of lack of power or not taking ownership and then making that shift or perhaps others that are listening are like, Gosh, am I taking ownership? And I know when um, I speak to some of my clients, like their businesses, so I am a business coach, and some of their businesses have kind of grown and we've been at the ebb and flow of what people have wanted of us and they've demanded from us, and there becomes a time and we're like, well, what do I actually want? And what business do I actually want to build? Which is really, really interesting to think about. And I know, Kemi, that you've coached thousands of women. What, what does the shift look like? Is it very subtle uh, when when they start to take ownership for th- their own life, the decisions perhaps they're making and the way that they're going?
1: Well, I think because I've worked with so many women is that it looks different. So sometimes it's really subtle and over a period of time it kind of reveals itself to them. And sometimes it's like boom, which actually has its own kind of ramifications because then you have to process it. I just feel that for so many of us, there are parts of our stories that we're ashamed of, or that we're embarrassed of, or that we've hidden. And I remember, you know, as, as a black woman that's always navigating mainly white spaces, when I used to stand on stage, I used to make a joke about my blackness because I kind of wanted to kind of, I don't know, add a bit of comedy, make people feel comfortable about it. So there was kind of ownership there. And for anyone that saw who's that incredible woman from Hobart, the comedian who stood up, Hannah Gadsby, like when she stood up and she said, as a gay woman, you know, I've always taken the mickey out of myself. That has been my comedy. And I'm not doing that anymore. Just how that was for her, but also her viewers. That's part of owning your story. I'm not going to apologize for my intersectionality. I'm not going to apologize for my race or for my class or for my disability or for my neurodivergency. It's part of my story and I'm going to own it and I'm going to use it wherever I can so I can live my life without apologizing for it.
0: This leads on to some of my other topics and questions as well that I want to speak about in terms of knowing and really feeling that we belong in any room. So I want to get to that, but I do want to go, I kind of want to keep it in order and go to W. So we have looked at presence, we've looked at ownership, and now let's look at the W in power, which is wisdom. And you're right that we all have an inner wisdom and this has the power to direct us through our lives. Too often we give this power away but if we learn to trust ourselves, our inner wisdom will lead up. This is also around permission and really does follow on from the previous topic, I think, when we do look at, at taking ownership. And you write that when we wait for permission from others, what we miss is the power to give permission to ourselves. When we wait for permission from others, whatever that looks like for you, to be told that you do belong or you are enough or you can go for that opportunity or you are ready. What we miss and what we don't do is actually take that power to give permission to ourselves. What does it mean to you, Kemi, in terms of that inner wisdom, perhaps trusting ourselves and also the permission side of things?
1: I always knew that no one was coming to save me. You know, there was no one coming. It meant that I could, like, I could rely on myself. I could set expectations for myself. But it also meant, on the other side, that I always didn't, I didn't ask for help, hence my second book, Gift of Asking, mm-hmm. asking for help, asking for help, powerful, I thought it was powerless. Now I know it's one of the most powerful things that you can do, is to ask for support and ask for that sort of thing. There are certain things in our lives where we know, we know what we need to do, and yet we somehow think, well, because I know, I don't trust that, maybe I need to ask somebody else. And they don't quite give you what you want, so then you are somebody else. And they're a little bit near, but not quite. So then so by the time you've outsourced your life, you are so out of touch with what your inner wisdom actually mm-hmm. is at the beginning. That we find ourselves making decisions for other people. Mm-hmm. We have this inner wisdom, I think it's trained out of us, you know. This is the the unlearning that so many of us have to do in so many different ways. And yet when we can really trust that we know what is gonna work even if everyone else around us disagrees, then it will lead us in the right direction. When I left acting, um, you know, a very successful acting career, there was no one in my life that told me that was a good idea at all. Was it lonely? Yes. Was it scary? Yes. Was it confusing and isolating? Probably one of the most isolating moments in my life. But I also knew there was something in me that said, you have to leave what society is telling you as one of the ultimate careers. Because it is not right for you. I had no idea what I was going to, but I just knew it was. I'm so glad I listened to my wisdom.
0: I'm actually thinking, as you say that, Kemi, how it leads back to being present so that you can have those downloads and can tap into your gut.
1: Yeah, if we can, we have to create space into our lives. And I share in the book, you know, for me, meditation has looked like, you know, 14 hours out of a passionate meditation retreat which i have to say was kind of a little bit too much for me but it is taking those moments i've done meditations where it's literally allowed me to realize i'm quite fragile and i actually cannot go and meet that person today you know like i actually just need to be by myself take some time this is not a great day for me to meet that person today and we can only have access to that if we are present to what's going on
0: I can't remember what section this is in, but I really loved, Kemi, how you spoke about reacting versus responding. And so when we are perhaps caught up in it and in the moment and we aren't taking time to reflect, we can be quite reactive versus it was almost like you were giving permission of just sharing from your own experience how you've learned that it's okay to not react straight away and to pause and think, what do I actually think about this? How do I feel about this? What are my thoughts? Where where do my values fit in? And take your time to respond. Could you touch on that? Because I think it's also very relevant when things are happening in the world as well and perhaps we feel as though I, I need to say something, I need to put something out there. But um, I think you, you wrote in there, you know, there's things that go on. We're not the experts necessarily and we, we need to kind of get our head around it.
1: You know, when when COVID hit and there was a lot of activity going on on, 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 online, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, how how come everyone knows what to say suddenly? How come everyone's become how to navigate a global pandemic? I know nothing about how to navigate a global pandemic, so I'm just going to eat crumpets. But what was great in that time is that I gave myself the time to think I do want to contribute in some way. I want to lead in some way. And because I stepped back and I just thought, how can I, and I was present, so I did a lot of gardening and I did a lot of walking and running. And then I share, in this, you know, I share in the book this story around because I was present, I suddenly realized that what I wanted to do was create a space for delight. That in a time of darkness and challenge and confusion, I wanted people to tap into those moments of delight every day. So that was me not reacting from fear. I've got to do something else, I've got like, no, I'm gonna step back. This is scary, I'm scared. And it just took me a couple of weeks to work out how do I want to contribute? And that was when the Delight Diaries were born.
0: It sounds like they took off and really were incorporated by different corporations and that type of thing and gave, you know, you were you were responding from a place of in what service can you be and looking at your unique take on it, which is, um, yeah, really powerful. And I think that is something for us all to think about. And certainly for me, you know, looking at it's okay to pause, and to take that time to think it out and figure it out and think, right, what what makes sense? What feels good to me?
1: In fact, I think it's imperative to pause. It's um, I talk a lot about the inhale and the exhale. You know, at the moment I'm on my book tour, but I have a lot of exhale. So for me, the inhale is like, oh, the events and the excitement and the travel and the this and oh, great. But then for me, I have to have the long exhales as well. So I think it's an example, I finished an event this morning and I could have gone back to Melbourne, and then I'm actually speaking at the Gold Coast at the weekend. I was like, no, the exhale is staying night in the hotel. I'm gonna, you know, go for a beautiful dinner with a friend later this afternoon. Early dinner though, because I like to be in bed early, you know. But that's the exhale. So that then, when I'm then speaking at the weekend, I have filled my cup again, and then I can have the oh, the inhale and the excitement, and then I
0: mm-hmm. now when I,
1: you know, back home at the weekend.
0: I like the sound of that and I love the way that you've you've thought about what's going to serve you as well
1: if we want to serve in a sustainable way we have to serve ourselves otherwise what we do is we start feeling resentful we start you know just not really wanting to be around people or not it doesn't work I think we need to sustain ourselves so that we can sustainably serve other people.
0: Absolutely. And I feel you on the resentment and how that just naturally kind of continues if we don't. And um, the Flow Society said, as an introvert, the exhale is so important, but I do find it hard for people to understand. We'll go to the E in power. And this one is equality. So as part of the diverse human family, all of us worthy. This was your definition of of equality. And I, I put out diversity and leadership is for the collective good. And this is something that I really believe myself. However, and we looked at power at the start of this and how we can associate power with one person wins and one person loses out. So you write here, being responsible for our privilege is powerful if we own it and use it responsibly. Feeling guilty about our privilege has no power at all. You wrote that for most of your life, I have not felt equal. For the majority of my life, I've felt less than and I have been made to feel less. And you shared a couple of things in this section around um, you were on Necker Island with Richard Branson and you, you happened to you kind of walked up to you, you, just got friendly chatting, lots of things in common. You sat next to him at the breakfast table and you also spoke around how you feel you say that you are equal to Richard Branson and you are equal to the homeless person. I adore that. And I think it's quite, it's a, it's not a usual, would you say? It's a lot of people don't think that or don't understand that they're allowed to think that in terms of how we see equality. Would you touch on that, Kemi?
1: Yeah, I think for me, it sort of comes from this idea, you know, where, you would probably know this a little bit as well, Emily, being a coach, is that you want to see that we're all human and that, certain things that society will raise up as kind of this is what success looks like and this is how it is. But then you realize that people that are kind of put up on a pedestal because of certain reasons, that they are still scared of losing a loved one or they still, you know, don't have enough underwear in their drawer or, you know, they are dehydrated or they haven't slept well the night before and they want love and they want affirmation and validation. And so it was great actually being on NECA because I remember thinking, you know, when when I meet Richard, he'll probably come in on a chariot with pink unicorns and, you know, there I am at the buffet table just putting pineapple on and he actually, and he says hello to me and I look up, I don't really recognize him because there's no pink unicorn. And then I look and I suddenly hear the accent and I was like, oh, this is it. This is the moment. Okay, so here we are. And he came and chatted to me and came and sat next to me at lunch and it was just a beautiful, wonderful conversation. That was it. And what was interesting about that is that I know that Richard Branson is also an introvert. So we have, so we have that in common, that's I kind of part of our humanity right and I sort of knew I know you know two introverts know when small talk is over like this this, this is it and we had many other conversations and I just you know see you just see him walking around doing his thing he's a human being and then when we look at homeless people on, on the street and I experienced about home, homelessness in my childhood and actually one of my foster mothers used to take me and my sister's hands when we saw a homeless person and she would always say they have brought it on themselves and mm. she would across the street like to walk on the other side of the street and that was what i grew up with that was a story that i grew up with and that i believed until actually my sister started working for the big issue i remember she said to me god this guy came in today and basically he came home from work he found that his wife was you know in bed with his best friend she owned the house she threw him out um he was sleeping on friends floors for a long time then he started getting depressed and then the friend said hey mate we kind of can't here any longer because of this? Then he lost his job and then he was homeless. And Emily, I, that was the first time that I'd ever gotten insight into different reasons of why people are homeless, because it butted up against, he didn't bring it on himself. He didn't bring it on himself at all. So then suddenly to realize, oh my gosh, life happens to all of us. And within that, we are all equal. And it can be hard for some of us to feel equal in certain rooms or with certain people. And I'm not even just talking about you know, race here, being a black woman in mainly white spaces, or someone with disability, or someone that has a different identification, gender rise, or someone that's trans. I'm not even necessarily talking about that. I'm also talking about that it can feel hard to feel equal within our families. You know, Because there's been a story in the family the older brother is the godlike one, or the older sister is something, and you're the this one. So you always feel like I'm not equal, and I have to prove myself or gain my parents' love. Um, or the extended family. You know, there's a sense of we know how, who who sits where and who's equal and who has more power and who doesn't. But there's something in being able to hold. Even if I don't believe it yet, if I saw myself as equal in this situation, what would I do differently?
0: I actually thought, Kami, as you were speaking, that would be a beautiful, powerful question. And if those watching want to reflect on that, And even pop it in and um, you wrote here to, um, from your book, we must be able to walk into any space and know that we are equal to every single person in that room. So I wonder for those that are tuning in, what would change for you if, if we did walk into that space and have a knowing, or even as Kemi said, maybe we haven't quite got it yet, but we could practice it knowing that we are equal to every single person in the room. What would change for you and how would you show up differently?
1: Yeah, and there's something as well I'm thinking. One of the things that um, I spoke a lot with coming to the table around COVID was people and their friendships. And something that was really interesting, this idea about equality, because actually when you're in your power and when you know that you're equal, it actually sometimes means leaving the room, you know. It actually means leaving the room because you realise I am not made to feel like I'm equal in this room. And I use the phrase in the book that Brené kind of coined this idea of hustling for one's worth, where you're in a room and you're kind of smiling and you're doing the thing and you're saying the thing and, you and it's exhausting. And it, that comes from a base generally of feeling like, I don't belong here, so I need to kind of prove that I do and kind of make it with everyone and, you know, do this sort of thing. But sometimes I now know as someone that is in my power, although I want to talk about we move in and out of our power all the time. But sometimes my power comes from leaving the room. I don't want to belong anymore. I don't need to belong here anymore. I don't want your permission. I don't need your validation. So I also just want people to think about that as well when they're listening. You know, I have clients that have said to family members, I love you, but for right now, where we are in our relationship, the best thing is that we have space. You know, that's a version of leaving the room so that you can process what that relationship is, what that dynamic is, so that maybe you can then step back in, in another way
0: yeah, I hadn't even thought of that to, to feel and know that you belong in the room and also to know when you don't want to be in that room. And it's powerful to leave. We're going to move to the the final kind of part of or the kind of the second final part, but the final one I'm going to talk about here, which is the R and responsibility. And uh, I picked out one part here, which is around money. I think it's going to be, very relevant for my audience. (laughs) And I, I just love the way that you wrote about it. So I thought I'd start off with, so your definition of responsibility in the book, Kemi, was for our choices, healing and happiness. Um, I jotted down a few notes. I really, um, gosh, it hit me when you wrote, it was right at the start of the book. And you, I think there was a line that men know best And this is something that as women, we kind of take on board and we're like, hang on, let's just, let's really look at that thought that we have. And I think, especially when it comes to money, we can think men know best and give up our power. And you wrote in the book, how that kind of happened for you. And I'll I'll go into that, that we don't trust ourselves. And I I jotted down here, why is it that we don't trust ourselves with money? And I'm sure, I'm sure you can respond to this, Kemi. I've popped down that because society tells us that women can't be trusted we're frivolous we're not responsible we're not good at finances and um, you shared in the book that when you became a mother you gave up you wrote I gave up the power and agency around money that you had as an independent woman woman would you like to just share a little bit about that in your own experience and then I can go to kind of a couple of the questions that I had as well
1: yeah, 100%. And it's interesting as well because, you know, you saw that I sort of did a thumbs up about the money thing. I think that actual part was originally 5,000 words when mm-hmm. I first There was so much I wanted to say about women and money. And she was like, this is, like, going to be half the book. You know, we'll have to look at the next book. So one thing I shared was that, you know, my first little job as an entrepreneur, I grew up in the 80s, and I'd make these little kind of little bows to go on my friend's skirts, which were kind of like just safety pins, and I'd make these little bows by hand. And I loved, I loved being able to create something that people wanted and then getting money for it. And so I knew from the beginning for myself that I liked money. I liked the freedom and the choices that it gave me. And what you refer to there around men know best is because I sent out a text and I talk about this in the book, and it's quite devastating, isn't it, Emily, to read. I just sent out to women in my life from age 15 to 65 and said, what does your internal patriarchy tell you? And the responses back were things like, I must have a man's validation. Men know best. I must always want the male gaze. Men must take on the really hard things in life. Men will look after me. So all of these things that we that we internalize, that we believe. The reality is when it comes to financial literacy, I think a lot of us just don't know about it. And I shared this the other day, we can have so much shame and embarrassment around not knowing about money. But the thing is that most of us weren't taught about it. Mm-hmm. So it's Powerful to just say, and that's ownership. I do not know about this. I do not know about this, and I want to learn, and I feel embarrassed. And find there are so many incredible female financial advisors out there. I cannot recommend my really dear friend and colleague, Melissa Brown, when it comes to her work around money, because it's something that most of us have to learn. We know statistically that in Australia, it's women that end up homeless on the streets because we haven't got this. And so, you know. I I talk about, it's not about how much money you have in the bank. That is not where your power comes from. Your power comes from knowing about the money that you do have. Be present. Take ownership. Know about this stuff. And, you know, I'm at a point in my life where maybe it would be good for me to spend a little bit of time on this.
0: Yeah, I loved that um, you, you shared in the book some actions you took was to become responsible, specifically with money. You took responsibility for gaps in understanding and knowledge. took responsibility for your own learning because it's like, we don't get taught a lot of this stuff. So, okay, that's okay, but how are we going to pursue that knowledge ourselves? Being vulnerable to actually say, I I don't know, ask questions and ask for support. So powerful and I think it's just – that is totally okay and that if we don't know these are the actions that we can take and you're not the only person that doesn't understand it
1: no and it's part of the wider picture as women we're supposed to be pretty and we're supposed to be meek and we're supposed to be this and money it's too much for us like you said money so we don't know so the system has been created that we don't know about it and also someone's just said here are you okay if i read this out
0: yes do i, I just saw that yeah
1: and my husband says that he and his friends talk about it all the time But I never talked about it with my friends and that I'm a wealth coach. This is the thing, I now have female friends where we will say how much we're earning, oh, that didn't go so well, oh my gosh, you won't believe. And it's so exciting to be able to support each other and to just know it doesn't make you a bitch, it doesn't make you greedy. Of all the female entrepreneurs that I know, we contribute our financial gains in some way. Now, when I say that, I also think we have to be mindful of women, and I've noticed this as well in kind of the bigger conversation about women and money is that we are expected to be charitable with it. So it's kind of like if you're going to earn money, you need to then demonstrate that you're not a bitch and you're not just doing things for yourself. When you earn your money, you can do whatever you want with it. You can buy as many shoes or handbags as you want. And yet I've noticed a lot of women will say, but I do do this and I do do this, which is another way of apologizing. For I'm a good businesswoman, or I'm at a senior level and I earn money. So, you know, these little nuances, and you know, the, the theme this week for International Women's is break the bias. Also, the biases we have in our head about women that earn money and what they choose to do with it, not do with it, but it's also the biases we have around who we are. I remember I was just raised actually having different foster parents, and you probably would have read that long sentence growing up in six different primary homes as a child. I learned so many contradictory things about money. Money is evil. People that have money are greedy. Money is an extension of your value system. Money can buy freedom for yourself and others. Money must never be spoken about. And if it's spoken about, it must be in hushed tones. Like I had a lot to process and unpick. And now for me, money gives me choice. It gives me agency and it gives me freedom. And I want that for every woman.
0: One of my coaches said something to me around, you can't become what you resent And I'm like, what do we associate? And even if anyone wants to pop in here their thoughts around women that earn a lot of money, like what are the thoughts that just automatically pop up for us? And are there negative thoughts there? Because if we do or do not want to earn money, it could be tied up in some of those thoughts, assumptions, beliefs that maybe we haven't even brought to the surface yet of what we think about women that earn a lot of money.
1: And I think as well, someone here, Ivelis said, and I really want to speak to this as well as a person of color. She says, being brown or a person of color, there's another thing around money. And I'm not sure exactly what you're meaning, but I'll just share what's resonated for me. Yes. In certain cultures, there's very much an expectation from family members around what you do with the money that you earn and where it should be going. So there's this beautiful thing around, in so many cultures where when you earn money, it gets sent back home, or it's your job to support the rest of your family and those sorts of things but sometimes that doesn't work for the person earning the money because they're trying to create their own life for themselves. So you've got their money that's intertangled with culture and whether you're a good sister or a good daughter or a good wife and 100% there are complexities around it but once again it goes back to being present. What is it that you want for yourself? Can you take ownership of your own narrative? It doesn't mean that you're cutting off your culture or your family but it maybe does mean that you have to have some difficult conversations around putting boundaries in place which is part of responsibility so that you live your life in a way that honors you while at the same time maybe supporting other people that you want to support in your life.
0: Kemi we're getting we're getting out of time here I would love to um to ask yourself and then I'll share and we can ask those that are here in terms of what does power mean to you now?
1: Power, to me, is a feeling I have when I am living all of those principles. You know, when I give myself the space, when I am comfortable in my own skin, when I don't apologise for who I am, for what I love. I talk about my love of country and Western music, and my dislike of misogynistic hip-hop. Um, you know, that I I am who I am as a full person, and I no longer apologise. That is powerful for me. I remember being on stage, it was actually a Business Chicks event, and just this feeling, this is many, many years ago. And I remember leaving stage and thought, oh my gosh, it is okay to be who you are. That's what resonates with people. That's what connects. And that's why I sometimes pinch myself in my job because I'm no longer hiding. And I really understand that not everyone is gonna like what I have to offer. That is fine. I don't like what everyone else has Mm. to offer. That's why it's important as individual women, we just use our voices and we show up and we serve in the way that we can and the way that we want. And then people that are attracted to us will be attracted to us. But if they can't see, no one can connect with us, which is kind of the beautiful quote that you shared at the beginning. So that's powerful. Before we finish as well, before you share that, the book isn't about by the end of the book, you will feel powerful forever. And that is it, it is not. I know that I will walk into certain restaurants, certain shops, certain supermarkets, and racism will be right there in my face. And all I wanted to do was buy a packet of chips and I will feel my power leave me. I will literally watch it go. And how I respond in that moment will change depending on where I am in my hormonal cycle, for example, or, you know, what's happened, whether I'm going to something where I feel and be myself. And there are other times where I'm left sobbing in the car because I cannot believe that someone has made such a judgment about me because of the color of my skin. And so the book is about when we, how do we build our power back up when we feel powerless? How do we build our power back up in those conversations where we try to hustle for our worth and we leave going, why did I do that? But the principles will bring you back to your innate power and you will build it up again.
0: Yeah, and the fact I was going to say actually around you you finish up talking about really the practice of these principles and it's not kind of one and done. It's like now we can practice this and that was really, really powerful. For me, power is opportunity and potential and I've really been examining the privilege that I have and sometimes I slip into, no, but I, I don't have any privilege. And then I, one of my coaches, I work with um, Louise O'Reilly, an amazing DEI coach. She's like, Emily... You have your platform, you have your voice, you have these different things. And I just, like my vision of the future is when women are in so many more roles of power, but it's not only women that are white from the same backgrounds. It's pretty boring. It's that we have women from all different backgrounds, cultures, colors of skin, abilities that are in leadership roles across politics, across business, across community, and also in in their own homes, is that we have so much to learn from women and, and all different backgrounds of women. And it just will bring so much more richness and connectedness to, to all our lives.
1: We all have forms of privilege. You know, I have privilege. English is my first language. I have an English and Australian passport. I have socioeconomic privilege. I have education privilege. I have an, you know, I'm an able-bodied, I'm cisgendered. I look like a woman. I identify as a woman. I have so many privileges. The privileges I don't have, I don't have race privilege. I don't have gender privilege. And I don't have higher education privilege. But something I think we do with all of our privileges is that we use them. We weaponize them. You know, know that we live in a world where certain systems serve certain people. For the world where the systems were created for you, use the privileges you have. I've been saying a lot being being guilty about privilege is really boring. It is boring. Yeah. Yeah. There are opportunities that are so exciting. You know, when, white, when a white man, I'm married to a white man, but you know, just generally, if white men can stand next to black women who can stand next to transgendered women, who can stand next to people with disabilities, like my God, that is actually what humanity looks like and we can see ourselves in each other. So we have to use the privileges we have, because that is how we're going to make a more equitable and more enjoyable, fun world.
0: Kemi, thank you. I could just keep, keep talking to you all day, but thank you so much for being here. And um, I'd just like to let everyone know about your book, So Power, and it is A Woman's Guide to Living and Leading Without Apology. You can buy it on Booktopia, Amazon, Book Depository. Mine came so, so fast. I was worried I wasn't going to have it in time, um, but congratulations. Thank
1: <laughs> Those that are going into bookshops as well, Dimex have a beautiful pin that they've created that it just says power five times. So also Dimex is someone that's really supporting the book. So if you want to support them and get a beautiful little bit of bling, that's also the place to go if you're going to an in-person
0: So good to chat with you. And thank you for being here. And thank you everyone for tuning in and conversing and sharing and lots of people saying thank you so much, Kemi. So thank you. And um, I look forward to hopefully meeting you in person soon.
1: Lovely. Take care, everyone. Look after yourselves.
0: See you, everyone. Thanks, Kemi. Bye. What a conversation. As you finish up listening, take a screenshot. And Kemi and I would love to see you share this to your Instagram stories or your Instagram. You can tag Kemi at KemiNekvapil and myself at Emily Osmond on Instagram. Now, also don't forget a few ways, a few actions you can take from here. If you're ready to learn really the three core steps to turn your followers into being clients, then go ahead and register for my free online workshop. You can go to emilyosmond.com forward slash free. If you're ready to take the next step to get booked out with clients and to have the most amazing support crew around you to do so, plus regular coaching from me, then it sounds like you need to be part of the Modern Marketing Collective. Go ahead and join us at emilyosmond.com forward slash collective. This is my 12 month immersive experience to get booked out with clients. And finally, if you're already booked out with clients and now you're looking to scale your time, your impact and your revenue and to do so with an online program, you should apply for my Scalable Mastermind. Go to emilyosmond.com forward slash scalable and you'll learn about this six-month experience to scale your business. Until next time, remember, connection over perfection. You have got this and we'll speak soon.